It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And on Farmer Fridays, we take your calls and agronomic questions all throughout the show. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Or better yet, you can do both. You can send us your soil test, your plant tissue test, the picture of the weed you can't identify or the problem you got going on in your field or your beautiful crop, and then call us and chat about it too. All right, Brian, where do you want to start on Farmer Friday? You want to dive right into some questions or you got anything you want to talk about? Well, I guess the only thing that I would say to open the show is we've got the Ag PhD Field Day coming up in a couple of weeks. It's Thursday, July 29th. We'd love to see you there. It's a free event we put on every year to say thanks to you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. Just go to agphd.com for more details and to pre-register. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of things planned for you, and we actually have 17 World product launches, I shouldn't even say world, uh, in some cases it's just uh, nation, uh, boy, I'm, I'm really uh, really stumbling here. So product launches for the United States from 10 different companies, 17 different products. I'm super excited because they're launching these products at our field day rather than anywhere else in the world or in the country. So I'm really excited about that. Plus, we got a whole bunch of other things going on, too. Again, agphd.com to learn more about the Ag PhD Field Day coming up on Thursday, July 29th. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. First question comes from Adam in Mitchell, and he said, I was out applying a fungicide to my garden, and I was thinking about fungicides and row crop as well. Now, I'm putting fungicide on my cucurbit plants, squash, cucumbers, pumpkins, all of which are very dense plants at this point. Is it important to just get the leaves of those plants sprayed or do I need to get down to the blossoms and the stems? That was my question on the garden, but then tying that to the row crops, we have never applied fungicide to our row crops and we think about that dense canopy. We're just canopy. We're just wondering how do you effectively get coverage through corn and soybean plants at this stage when they're so big or are there certain leaves or just the tops of the plants that are important to cover? Okay, the unfortunate thing with fungicides is they move in the xylem of the plant only, not the phloem. So to go back to basic biology here, the phloem moves things up and down in the plant, whereas the xylem only moves up. So since the fungicide can only move up, and by the way, it doesn't move well from leaf to leaf either, you have to try to get everything covered as much as you possibly can. By the way, this does bring up kind of an interesting point, Darren, that I don't think we've talked about on the show with these cupped beans for dicamba. One of the advantages, and I realize you say cupped beans, it's never an advantage. Well, actually, you're able to get more sunlight down lower in the canopy, and you're able to get better coverage if you are spraying a fungicide down lower in the canopy. So at least look on the bright side if you have cupped beans like we do on our farm. Anyway, uh, with fungicide, we want to try to use, or we suggest you use smaller spray droplets, lots of spray pressure, and more water. When you do all three of those things, then usually you're able to get better coverage. But yeah, it's I mean it's really hard when a crop gets super big. Like for example, a lot of our corn right now is eight to ten feet tall. 
I mean, do I really think that I'm going to get fantastic coverage on the lower leaves with a fungicide? No, but like on corn, for example, the most important leaf by far is the ear leaf. So can I get down just to the ear leaf? Sure I can. But, you know, I'm not going to be able to cover those very lowest leaves on the plant. And honestly, they aren't producing a lot for the plant anymore anyway. All right. Thanks for the questions, Adam. Really appreciate that. Uh, I get this from Matt. He's in southeastern Minnesota. He said, I no-tilled some 1.5 maturity enlist beans in in early May. Many of the other farmers in the area, along with myself, have noticed shorter beans in the Enlist varieties compared to Roundup Ready 2 or Extend beans. Yep, that's a good thing. I know that you've addressed the cupping of the leaves already, but just wondering, have you heard of slower growth or shorter plants with the Enlist-traded soybeans this year? Well, it really has nothing to do with the trait. And so I realize very often as farmers, we'll associate the trait with some of the genetic packages but we shouldn't. The genetics are totally separate from the trait. It's just that a lot of the breeding process that had gotten done in many of the Enlist soybeans, they were just shorter beans to begin with. And then they got the Enlist trait in them. That's just the way it is. And personally, the reason why I said short is good, I really like that personally, because then we get a little more air movement through our crop canopy. And that usually means less disease problem. Our biggest challenge on our farm to raising soybeans the last five years has been sclerotinia white mold. In some cases, it's taken 80 to 90 bushels, and that's no joke, 80 to 90 bushels is what sclerotinia white mold robbed from us. So since then, since we've had some of those disasters, we have taken extensive measures so that doesn't happen again, but that costs money. So it's a lot easier if you have beans that are, number one, more tolerant, which is great, and number two, a little bit shorter. I would also say just because a bean is tall or short, it has little to do with overall yield. All we care about at the end of the day or at the end of the year is do we have yield and do we have profit? That's what we're after. So quite often we see some of the beans that are shorter yielding just as well, if not better, and they definitely stand better, and they usually have less disease pressure. All right. Thanks for that question. Uh, Brian, we get this one uh, about soil tests, and this one is from, from someone named Brian. He said, you always talk about soil. He and, sounds smart. Go and ahead. Test interpretation. Uh, and I like that. He said, you talk a lot about Malik 3 and some other methods. Just wondering, what do you think about the presence of nutrients on a test versus their bioavailability. Do you guys think some of these weak acid extractions like the Haney test or Morgan's test might be a better indication of what's actually available? And then also, what about other tests like testing for microbiology as well in your soil? Generally speaking, if I look at a soil test, I I have a pretty good idea about the microbiology because some of the big things I'm looking for are soil pH and soil organic matter. In terms of the, the weak acid tests, it's nice to know what's available today, but what really matters is what's available during the whole season, and that's always going to be a little bit iffy. All right, we're going to get to the phone lines right after this. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near-zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist Weed Control System, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. 
In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Join us for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. We're putting on a full day that you won't want to miss. Yield champs will share about raising yields and profits. Industry experts will discuss drainage law, estate planning, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you dozens of research plots and have equipment running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day. Register now at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio, thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Really excited to look up at the call screen right now, and I see we've got our friend A.O. out in North Carolina. I think the last time, A.O., that we talked, you were right here in the studio. Uh, Yeah, well, I think I did have one. We've had one conversation since then, but... uh, uh yeah, that was one, one, one good trip that we had. That was the, the top of the line for me. Outstanding. Getting out there to visit y'all. Yeah, that's a, that's a good drive out this way too. No doubt about that. So, talk to us about the crop. I know you like to get out on the road a little bit and see what everybody else's crop is looking like. How are things looking this year? Well, uh, we had for us, we had the best wheat crop we've ever had. I mean, I've been in farming for forty-seven years and. We've had the best wheat crop we've ever had, and uh, uh, we've had more replants than we've ever had this year also on soybeans. Uh, Full-season crop, they went in ground good. We a little dry, planted a little deeper. Everything come up was fine. And then uh, they were calling for a half inch of rain after we, we were picking, uh, planting wheat beans, and they calling a half inch of rain, so we kept on planting, and we got three and a half inches, so ended up planting 375 acres over, and I can't tell you how many of our growers had to plant over, oh. but it was a it was a, a lot of them and a lot of acres. Yeah, that is tough, especially in seed production. That that is a nightmare to get. So, hoofda. Well, I don't don't enjoy that at all. But the wheat crop that sounds really good. The the timing of the the rains was good for that, and harvest was decent too. Well, we had a we had a cool May. And uh, we kind of felt like that maybe that had a lot to do with it. Uh, the sure. rains were pretty much, uh, you know, at one time we were wondering if we needed the rain, you know, to help make a crop. But, uh, uh, I mean, we checked some 125 bushels. Wow. And our, our whole crop average is 101.66, I think it was. 
That's really cool. Yeah, especially this year too. You get it, get it where you get a decent price too, and get a get a nice yield. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that does to help that. a whole lot. Uh, it don't usually come that way where you hit the two together. <laughs> no, that's very rare. That's for sure. Well, and even these soybeans now. I mean, look at we get a decent price there too. But my goodness, you've had a lot of work with all those replants. What what does the corn crop look like in your area? Uh, for the most part. Uh, I think corn looks halfway decent. I have seen some fields going along that maybe because of so much rain early in the season that they possibly, you know, some of the nitrogen's gone. Uh, it's a little more yellow than I would want it in my crop. But uh, for us, ours is pretty and dark green and uh, and looking good. The, the hurricane come through and we only got an inch and three-tenths out of it and hardly not much wind for us uh some folks had a little more wind than we had but for us we didn't have that much wind uh we did see some sweet corn that kind of got blowed sideways but for the most part the field corn was looking decent outstanding yeah it's it's always interesting i know there's a lot of crops growing around where you're at so it's good to hear that that things are doing okay overall and good to hear from you yeah. al really appreciate it enjoy the rest of your summer and and stay in touch Okay, doke Y'all take care. Always good to talk to you. You bet. Thanks. Uh, Brian, we got a, a picture, a couple pictures that came in, too, and we'll get to those right after this. Let's get back to the phone lines here. we got Jeff on in Oklahoma. Jeff, how are you doing right now? Doing great. Uh, finished up with Sweet Harvest, uh, the latest one we've ever had, so we've bought a lot of rains and uh, issues like that this, this harvest. Were you able to get the crop out in decent shape? Uh, suffered some sprout damage. We about midway through harvest had eight to ten inches of rain, so Oof. had some some sprout damage in some of the grain as well as lost test weight. So really gave us some some quality issue problems. Ah, yeah, just we were happy to have the rain for the other crops, but. But dang, if it could have just waited a little bit, that would have been really good. Oh, I know the the soybeans loved it, but the wheat didn't. Yeah, it's that's a challenge in farming, and I know uh, when when I was a kid, I had said that one time to to my dad. I said, "Man, wouldn't it be awesome if we could just call up a rain whenever we needed it?" And he said, "Ah, but our neighbors would never agree because they'd have different crops at different stage, and and they might not need a rain right now until they get the wheat out or something like that." And and sure enough, it's exactly what happened here. That you're right, one crop was good, one was not. So okay, talk to us about these beans now that you got going. Are you seeing any pests out there? Are you guys still spraying for? Wheat? Weeds or- no, we're we're staying clean. Um, even with all the rain that we've had, the the pre-emerge is holding, and so we've we've been very fortunate in that aspect. And quite a few double crop beans out behind the combine. So uh, going in with some you know four six four eight maturities for for northern Oklahoma, uh, double crop back into that wheat stubble, and and those beans are coming along great. And of course, the rains have been really wonderful for those beans. Outstanding. Yeah, I wish we could do some double cropping up here. I think that would be really interesting for our farm. What do you expect for yield on those double crop beans versus your full-season beans? So, you know, our, our full-seasons right now are looking really awesome. Um, I think we've got 70 bushel-plus potential in those full-season beans. And uh, double crops, you know, we, we try to hit that 25 mark. Uh, occasionally, you'll hit 30, 40 bushel beans double crop. Uh, just depends on how mother nature treats us later in the season. 
but we're off to a good start right now and and uh, keeping our fingers crossed and hope up the the beans make up for some of the losses from the wheat you bet you bet absolutely uh now on that wheat ground how do you handle that when you're going to double crop beans do you put pre-emerge residual type products down or do you just plant in there as fast as you can and and try to spray after so we we plant as fast as we can try to get that seed in while we've got good moisture and everything and uh you know we we still actually have a couple more farms we're going to plant even as late as it's getting but We'll we'll run the planter across it and then come back in um, and you know throw some residual down some and with our burn down and uh, you know something to hold the palmer and and pig weeds and as well as crabgrass that's a, a real problem we have in this area so <clears throat> come in come in with that and burn it down and lay down a pre-emerge and and uh, you know try to keep it as reasonably priced as we can. Um, you know, we'll we'll go ahead and spend some pretty good money on pre-emerge on full season, but double crop with the uh, you know limited yields on them. We we try to stay as as reasonably priced as we can with our chemical program on those, and yet still try to do a good job on them. Absolutely, yeah, it's fun. I agree with what you we're saying there. We're trying to do the best we can. We're trying not to spend so much we go broke, and you know we don't have huge yield potential. But man, if you don't do those good management practices, your yield potential has gone pretty fast too. So, you know, it's yeah, it's a good you, rotation. You wasted, wasted your time, and and you know we we fight a lot of feral rye down in this part of the country as well as as rye grass, and so it's a it's a good rotation to get in with the double crop beans try to get some of those grassy weeds cleaned up during the winter, and then we'll rotate back in the spring into a full season being on those same acres. And it doesn't really cost you that much more to have double crop beans out there as what it would cost you with today's chemical prices, um, keeping that ground burned down, uh, you know, all summer long. Anyway, if you were going to go back to wheat with it, I mean, it's, it's you know, with the Roundup and, and the dicambas and everything that have, have uh, really shot up in price, some of them have doubled. Um, you know, there's a there's a real check that has to be written there to keep that ground clean during the summer. So we might as well have something growing on it. Yeah, and I, I know we talk a lot about cover crops, and this is a situation after wheat harvest where a lot of guys say, well, I'm going to get a cover crop out there. But if you can get a crop that you can make a little bit of money and serve all those purposes of the cover, but that's a win-win. I, I like it. I think so. It, I, it works better for us than a straight cover crop because the guys that are doing a summer cover, cover crop for – two and a half, maybe three months, have depleted all their soil moisture to try to go right back into wheat in the fall. And so unless Mother Nature is real forgiving and blesses you with some uh, planting time rains, it really puts you behind the eight ball. But by doing this with a double crop and then having that ground lay fallow during the winter, cleaning up the grassy weeds and going back into a spring crop, it's very effective for us. Well spoken, Jeff. Couldn't have said that better myself. I love what you're doing. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate the call, and good luck to you here. Hopefully the rains keep coming so those beans turn out great. Thank you. Have a great day. You bet. You as well. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. 
Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. When it comes to soybean diseases, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on white mold and other yield-robbing diseases with Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one, nearly twice as fast as the next leading competitor. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to join the conversation. Start off here with Jerry out in eastern Montana. Jerry, how's it going? Well, she's a warm one out here. I believe it. You guys have had some heat and some dry weather. Have you been able to catch any rain? You know, it's been very little. We're, I think uh, here on our farm, we're probably about uh, three and a half inches for the summer. So that's, that's pretty skinny. Yeah, especially when it's this warm out too. Are, are you seeing any crop that's hanging on through this dry weather better than others? Well, um, definitely the wheat on pulse ground is holding in better than wheat on wheat ground. And a year like this, the crops seeded with the disc drill are hanging in there better than the ones with the whole drill as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, that is interesting. I, I know for our farm too, we, we plant a lot of soybeans and a lot of guys would drill them in back in the day and guys have gone to, to the planter. They felt like they were getting better. Well, I know they're beyond just felt like they were getting better placement. They were getting into the moisture better and able to survive in these dry years like that. So it does, equipment definitely makes a difference in how you operate that and set it is a big, big deal. All those things show up on a year like this year. So where where's your crop at? right now uh obviously you need some rain to get things going are there some other management things are you running into hoppers or anything out in the fields well really it's just pretty much harvest time here now it's uh, with this hot weather we just put our peas and our yellow peas in the bin here a couple days ago we finished that up and uh, desiccated some lentils this morning and yesterday and the spring wheat is turning fast too so we've we were right at 100 yesterday, and we will be for the next several days. So all that's going to be accelerated. Grasshoppers, lots of grasshoppers, kind of spotty. But uh, yesterday they were on the move. It, they were here uh, here in our yard here at, where we have a shop. It, they were banging into the sides of the building and off the windows. And it was one of those days that if you'd go outside and and uh, look up at the sun and hold your hand in front of your eyes so you could just look as close to the sun as possible without hitting it. You could see all the hoppers way up in the sky. They were definitely on the move. Wow. Wow. Yeah, for people that haven't seen that before, it's it's pretty amazing. I know one of the soybean breeders that we work with, he had said how his, his grandpa, who was a farmer, had been telling him about that, and how, that's how it used to be back in the day. And he had, he finally saw that here in one of these last couple of years, too. And he said, wow, I I always thought it was a story. It it really can be yeah. that that tough. We're, we're back in the day. We actually uh, went out and looked at a young farmer's Spring wheat yesterday evening, he was wanted some ideas, I guess, on where to go. And uh, right out on the edge, coming out of some of the grass pastures, the uh, hoppers were really hitting it hard. And some of the worst I've ever seen actually headed out wheat that's, you know, pretty well filled. And they basically had eaten it right down to the ground. So yeah, it was pretty aggressive. So on those kind of situations, uh, Jerry, can you spray insecticide? Will that repel them? Will they go to the next field instead of yours or do they just plow right through it? Well, those are still fairly small hoppers and an insecticide, you could kill them. Uh, what we're running into with quite a few of them, you got to be careful is there's a 30 day, 30 day label on sure. it before harvest. So yep. some of that crop's getting pretty close there, but it's it's really a struggle making a decision right now because when you have a day like yesterday, you could kill them, and and a, and a day or two later, when they start flying, they could be right back there again. So, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's a hard one to decide. Yeah, you feel a lot better when the crops in the bin, like you mentioned, the yellow peas you already had in, and now these lentils that you desiccated. How long do you have to wait before you get to harvest those? That's a seven-day label on the Gramoxone on that. Okay. They'll no doubt in this hot, dry weather, they'll be ready before that, but you you got to go by the label. And, sure. And, uh, you know, respect the customer. Yep, absolutely. Well, Jerry, good luck to you. Hopefully uh, hopefully the rains come eventually here, and, and uh, what you can get for crop, hopefully you're successful and you stay safe this harvest. I appreciate it. Good luck to you guys down there. You bet. Thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah, we could use the rain too, no doubt. Uh, I got Rob out in Illinois with us right now. Now, Illinois, I hear, is getting a lot of rain, but it, of course it, it varies quite a bit. Rob, how are you turning out on your farm? Well, you almost kind of make me bashful about talking about the situation <laughs> here after listening to all these guys since one o'clock or two o'clock my time. Um, we are I, greetings for the tropical rainforest of central Illinois. Um, <laughs> I did some math for you. Um, we had 12 different rain reports in June uh, in central Illinois, and we've had 11 to date so far in July. Wow. To give you an idea where I'm at, I am 35 miles east of Peoria. 15 miles north of State Farm headquarters, or and uh, or Jake with State Farm with the khakis, and also on 30 or 50 miles southeast of Shark Farmer or Mr. Sharky. So, pretty good dirt where we're at. Corn went in good early. Corn looks good. Beans are a little worrisome from the standpoint of they've had a lot of water. And if the old adage of beans don't like wet feet, we probably will have a pretty tough bean crop. But I would say our corn crop is going to be good. Um, corn spraying for fungicides started, uh, Monday, the plane started flying around here. My May first corn, um, and second corn will probably get sprayed next week. We just started tassel. We haven't fully tasseled yet on those farms. Um, beans, I'm guessing the, the thing we got us worried a little bit, not only with the rain is that the beans are short and we haven't seen sun. Um, if photosynthesis is needed, that's really going to hurt our bean crop because we, with all these rains, we just haven't seen the sun. Um, not going to, you know, can't turn the spigot on or off out here. It's whatever mother nature gives us and we just got to deal with it. So I'm fortunate where I'm at. I'm in Northern McLean and Southern Woodford. We didn't get the big 12 inch rains, um, uh, from the week of June 25th. Um, there was a lot of those that came in two days. We got six inches over about six days, but my wife was in the house. Um, and didn't get to go outside. So finally on, on one rain day, she said, I'm leaving the house because she was basically had cabin fever because we had every day it rained, it seemed like. So, Wow. Yeah, that's that's something else. When it, when it rains, it pours, and, and you got plenty. How about the cattle? How are they holding up in all this mud and, and uh, uh, monsoon weather that you've been getting? The good news is most of you know, we don't put cows on good dirt here. That's for the up next to the creeks and the hills and that kind of stuff. And um, our the good news, our first cutting of hay was real good. Our second cutting was hay. We've had, the thing is, we I was telling you about all this rain. We've had windows to get our hay in. Our second cutting, um, thank goodness, the hay baler was pulling out of the field as the rec system was coming. So we've been able to put up some very good quality and be able to get it wrapped um, before the hay, before the rains, big rains came. So the cows are doing okay. I'd, I mean, if I could ship some up to those people in North and South Dakota, I would just because I, every time it seems like every other day I get an email with another dispersal sale because of drought. So yeah. I mean, we're thinking of those people up North. And like I said, I, I'd, I'd love to do something for them, but we really can't. So, but we're, unfortunately things are good down here. So, well, well, thanks Robert. Thanks for the, the call. Yeah. It's uh it's not bad when you're getting the rain and, and we're in a drought. You can talk about it. We can be happy for you that you've got some rain. I, I, I just hope you share next time. That'd be good. <laughs> I'd love to. I, my, and I go to a farm in southwestern Kansas, and I told my tenant, uh, my, my tenant was doing our 578s at the, at the FSA office, and I told her, she said, how you doing? I said, well, we're wet. And she goes, well, we could use some. And I said, well, we'd shift you one or two inches if your husband could figure out how to get it to you. So, <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Rob. We really appreciate it. Good luck here the rest of the growing season. Yep. Thank you. 
Got this one from Kim, and she said, you guys talk about building up your organic matter in your fields. I'm wondering, do you have issues with slugs out there with all that organic material and reductions in tillage? Typically, no. So we, we just don't have a lot of issues. We're in a really dry area of the United States, and a lot of people have gone to no-till here in the last 20, 25 years, that's allowed them to raise a crop every year or to raise a better crop because it's preserved a lot of moisture out there. So we're just in a different geography over here. And, you know, that's that's what makes this whole discussion about farming kind of fun because we talk to people from all over, people with different conditions. So it really depends on where you're at, your local area, and what you have for weather. But no, we don't really have weather that's very conducive for slugs. Thanks for the question, Kim. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio after this. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire Herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. 
with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. We got this one from Adam. He is in the south side of Virginia. And he said, I've got a quick question. I haven't been able to get a good answer, so I thought I'd throw it past you guys. In past years, around R3, I've been getting the plane to fly fungicide on my soybeans, and it's been working great. This year, really dry. We did catch some rain now, and hopefully we get another rain soon. And I've decided to go out of the fungicide on my early planted beans. Now, I've got a large portion of my soybeans this year near water sources, including ponds, streams, and creeks. I want to add an insecticide in when I go over for Japanese beetles and alfalfa leafhoppers, but I'm nervous about causing a problem with fish in the ponds and creeks. Do you know of any insecticides I can use that are safe around water? That's his first question. And honestly, Adam, I don't know of any. Almost every one of them, if you read the labels on really all the popular yep. products being used, they are not safe around fish. So it's something that would be better done with a ground rig, I would think. And Well, and- yeah, but, but let's hold up for just a second. Bugs typically move. Bugs like that will move. So Japanese beetles, even aphids to some degree, definitely grasshoppers. So here's the way I'd look at it. I would just have the plane just do something that isn't going to cause an issue with the, the, the water. So if a fungicide is okay or if you're ever doing herbicide or any of that kind of stuff, you just do a pass along there and then as you get out into the field, you add the insecticide. And I realize that's a hassle for the aerial guys sometimes, but hopefully that works out and they can hit some borders where they don't have the insecticide in and then the rest of the stuff they do insecticide. So you just have to talk to your applicator and they should be able to work with you on that. All right. He said, also for fungicides, I've heard a lot about this new Revitech and all the new SDHI combination products. I'm just wondering, have you seen these new types of products and and the new mode of action, the SDHIs, paying over the top of some of the products that we've been using for a number of years? Well, the SDHI isn't exactly new. So back when I was a young agronomist, we used to work with, there was a seed treatment fungicide, and I can't even come up with the name now off the top of my head as soon as I started saying that. But anyway, the point is the SDHI has been around for a long time. Preaxor was the first one that was, it was headline and an SDHI. And that probably came out, I don't know, 10 years ago, eight or 10 years ago. And that's been really, really good. So no, we do like the SDHIs. We have found whether it was corn or soybeans, we're getting some response. We're broadening the spectrum. And the other big thing that you got to remember is the strobes we're having resistance issues. Like in soybeans, we got frog eye leaf spot that's resistant. We got brown spot that's resistant. I assume there are others that are building resistance too because the strobes have been out there for so long, like Headline, Quadris, Avito, all those kind of products. Uh, we're, we aren't getting the disease control anymore that we should. So let's just say that you have a strobe and a triazole, like many of the combinations have been over the last 10 years other than Preaxor. Well, then that if that leaves you with only one effective mode of action, the triazole. 
And as we know, if you can get multiple effective modes of action, you're way better off. So that's where having the three-way now is nice. And you might say, well, wait a second. If the strobes aren't helping you for disease, then why would we continue to throw them in there? The reason why? Plant health. Uh, this is probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, Darren and I went to Denmark, and we were talking to an agronomist there, and he just had made the comment that they were selling all kinds of comet. It was That's the same thing as headline here in the United States. But they were selling all kinds of comet in Denmark. And I, I just asked him the question, well, what diseases are you controlling with that? And he goes, well, we're not controlling disease. <laughs> and I go, wait a second here. You just told me you got all your farmers using this fungicide, and it's not controlling disease. You must be one heck of a salesperson. <laughs> And he goes, no, no, we we are seeing lots of plant health benefits. And when we take the comet out of the tank, we're not getting the same yield. So he said, all my growers want to use the comet because they're getting higher yields. They're, they're seeing those plant health benefits. And when we talk about plant health benefits, what we mean specifically is the crop is cooler, which is important in a hot year. There are more antioxidants in the crop that they test for higher levels of antioxidants, and that's great. Uh, and then the other thing is less ethylene production. And ethylene finishes the plant earlier. So in other words, the plant prematurely dies when it has excess ethylene. So those are the three plant health benefits of having a strobe in there. Plus, we would encourage people, throw a triazole and an SDHI in there. So get a three-way. It doesn't cost that much money. And then you should be set. All right. Thanks for the questions. Uh, this one comes from Nate. And, ooh. He sent some pictures here, Brian. They don't look great. He said, I have what I believe to be magnesium deficiency sporadically out of my soybeans. My soil test says I have above optimum levels. Just wonder if there's something limiting my uptake. I'm in northwest Pennsylvania. Started out dry this year, but we're quite wet now. We planted 160,000 population on seven and a half inch rows. We've got tile every 40 feet. We did full tillage. We got a 70 bushel yield goal. And our primary means of fertilization was four tons of chicken litter compost every other year ahead of our corn and our corn bean rotation. Okay. When So he sent us a picture, and there's a nice-looking field, but in a part of it, there's a yellow area. What we would encourage anybody to do who's got issues like this is go soil test. Even now is fine. Go right to the heart of the worst area and soil test, and then go to the heart of the best area in the same field nearby and take a soil test there. And also in those two spots, take plant tissue tests. So take the, the plants or the leaves off the plants, send those in for analysis too. So now in each spot, you got a soil test and a tissue test. And then that's going to give us the answer of what's going on there. The tissue test is important because we want to verify what we're seeing in the plant. If you believe it's magnesium deficiency, it could be, but just looking at the plant, it could be something else. I don't know 100% for sure. So we want to verify that, number one. And then number two, with the soil test, we want that to see if it truly is a magnesium deficiency or whatever it is, what could possibly be limiting our uptake. So those are the things that we're really after. And once we have that, we can give you a much better answer because otherwise we're going to spend the next five minutes speculating on, well, if it's this, it's that, and, and do this if it's that. Let's find out first what the, the problem truly is, and then we can help you solve it. All right. Thanks for the thanks for the question. Thanks for the pictures, too. And, you know, the other thing that I was thinking about, Brian, is the chicken litter a lot of times is very high in calcium. And 
You may have a lot of pounds of magnesium out there. I'm curious what the base saturation percentage is because I'm wondering if we're getting that calcium up so high that, that it's taking up a lot of the spots out there in the, the soil colloids. Might be something to think Possible. about. Okay. Um, get this from Henry. He said, love, love hearing about your corn and soybeans. Would also love to hear about cotton. That'd be pretty sweet if you guys would, would include that into your program at some point. Hey, thanks, Henry. We appreciate the feedback. We do not raise cotton here probably not the cotton experts of the world. And uh, we do talk a lot about fertility, a lot about uh, different crop protection methods and products that can be used in cotton as well. Uh, but occasionally, yeah, we'll have to mention some cotton stuff. That'd be fine. Uh, any comment on that, Brian? Well, we've been the largest cotton producer in the state of South Dakota for the last <laughs> five years, raising about, uh, I don't know, 30 square foot area for our Ag PhD field day site. But yes, that does not make us cotton experts. Nevertheless, there are a lot of things that we do talk about, like Darren said, that absolutely apply to cotton and can help you in cotton. So I don't really care what crop we're talking about. The most valuable resource you have on your farm is always going to be the soil. I mean, other than obviously you and your brain and your family. So we want to talk about that soil a lot. And it's just like in the, the, with the last question that we had in, I said, Hey, send us some soil tests and, and we'll, we're more than happy to take a look at that for you. But it, again, it doesn't matter the crop. We want to look at soil tests and there are many things that apply, many rules that apply to all crops. Now, certainly every crop is a little bit different for nutrient removal and what it prefers for maybe soil pH or what it prefers for levels of phosphorus and potassium, things like that. But Anyway, that would be our suggestion. If you want specific help for your farm and your cotton, if you want to send us some soil tests, we'd be more than happy to help you out. And also, if you said, hey, I have this particular issue, whether that's a planting issue, it's a certain weed or a disease or an insect, let us know, and we'll help you out with that as best we can. Thanks for the comments and, and feedback, Henry. We appreciate that. And we'll be right back with more of your calls and questions after this. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. 
Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new three-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. And that same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge three-point mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Back to listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this one from Dennis, and he said, looking for some advice here. We've got a feeder-to-finish site uh, with a pit that empties into a lagoon for storage. And this is for hogs. And I want to spread with a traveling gun on growing soybeans for this year and possibly on corn next year. I pump in the fall and spring. I'm wondering, will this damage my beans in any way that I wouldn't get a crop? What should I look for on the lagoon sample to help make this decision? Okay. So would I be concerned about it? Absolutely I would. We're talking about this exact thing with dairy manure and doing this in the future. Oh, one other so, comment he's got here. He said, I've heard of guys doing this with pivots and then running fresh water over the crop. I don't have that ability. Okay. So unless you mix it with a whole bunch of fresh water, there's no possible chance I'm doing this. I'm very, very concerned about the salt that you're going to throw on those plants. So yeah, I, an easy I, way to do it is just go to the lagoon, get a five gallon bucket, scoop some out and just toss a little bit out on some soybean plants and you'll see for yourself exactly what it's going to do. True. And it's not going to be great. So and I would have somebody else do it too, because it's going to smell to high heaven. So the only way that, well, if you're a hog <laughs> I'm producer, just, yes. I'm just kidding. Hey, we raised I hogs. grew up. I grew up raising hogs, Brian. I've scooped enough manure. I yes. I, I can tease about. We it. spent our childhoods uh, scooping hog manure every morning and every night, 365. It probably days explains a, year. a lot about our show. So I, I, yeah. So I I I don't care about the smell, but what I do care. Oh, I I would tell you this. Whenever people say something about the smell. As I'm sure you've heard a million times, like our dad said, well, that's the smell of money, boys, is, you know, the smell from the hogs. I'm like, no, 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 that's the smell of lost money. We want to put that, put those nutrients into the ground. And that's my other concern with what you're suggesting here is applying this over the top. I don't love it. And the reason why is because you're not going to get the nutrients down into the soil. So will nitrogen and sulfur and boron and things like that get down in? Sure, of course they will. But your phosphorus won't. Your potassium would if you'd put more 
like you had said, fresh water on it, that would certainly help. But your phosphorus, your zinc, and you know maybe a couple other nutrients too, like copper, they aren't going down. They're going to be on the surface of the soil. And now if you have erosion, you're going to have an issue downstream with somebody. So as regulatory things get harder to deal with moving forward, there's less chance that people are going to do like what you're suggesting. But it can work if you put it together with water and lots of it, or if you put water on like immediately afterwards. But even then, I don't love that. I would want the water going out at the same time as the manure. Otherwise, I'd just be very concerned about the the salt load. It's, I mean, it'd be the same thing as spraying straight liquid 28% over the top of your crop. You do that, you know what's going to happen. It's going to burn the heck out of it. So, and here you're putting way more on per acre. So, yeah, yeah, it, that scares me to death. All right, thanks for the question, Dennis. We appreciate that. Uh, I get this one from TF who says, My father-in-law planted new grass, laid down some really expensive sod the same year that I did on my farm. While we watered the same after three years, mine doesn't require as much water anymore, and the difference that we found is cutting height. He cuts his short, I cut mine tall. I catch more dew, and my roots are deeper. Hey, those are good comments, TF. I agree with you. A lot of people cut too short, and it's the same thing with pasture management. If the pasture is allowed to be grazed down to nothing, it takes forever for it to come back and we have a lot more weed pressure. So the health of the pasture is certainly better when we do some rotational grazing and limit the grazing on it too. Same kind of thing as in your lawn. A couple of years ago, we had a a lawn expert on and he said, and I don't even remember what his name was off the top of my head, but he's, he just said the biggest mistake most people make with their lawns is watering them every day. He said, you only want to water maybe once a week. It all depends on your climate and your soil and everything. But he said like for our, our soils here that are heavy, we're relatively cool. He said once a week is great, but you want to water it hard once a week. And that also allows the roots to get deeper. If you keep feeding a little bit of water out there every day, you're going to have shallow roots. And then, boy, if for some reason you don't water uh, three days in a row, your your crop or your lawn looks drought stressed already. So he said water once a week in your heavy soils where you have cool temperatures like where we farm here in South Dakota. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, get, a, get a little feedback from ML. We were talking about puncture vine and herbicides that could control it. ML mentions there are also some biological control methods. There are some bugs that really feed on this stuff too. So if you're in a spot where you can't use herbicides, there there is a natural solution that you could do as well. Thanks for sharing that. There are some, some insects that can attack different weeds. I know we hear about leafy spurge, that there are some specific bugs that can attach that, that you can introduce into those patches. It just takes a little bit of time. So, yeah, if you can't use the chemistry, get after it on the early side when you just see a few rather than letting it go very long where you have a ton of those weeds that could really be, uh, well, with puncture vine, interfering with your enjoyment of the land for sure. Hey, thanks for the feedback. We appreciate that. Yeah, one of the biggest challenges with the the bugs taking care of this is how long is that going to take and are you able even are you even going to be able to get those bugs get them in there? I mean, it's it it's hard. Darren asked that goldenrod question. Okay, got one from Joanna who says uh Johanna who says, "How do you get rid of goldenrod? That seems to be a tough weed for us to fight." Well, goldenrod is a perennial uh, and it's a, it's a wildflower. So some people want to get rid of it. Some people don't. What we always say is a weed is a plant that's growing somewhere you don't want it to grow. For example, 
Corn is our number one crop here on our farm. But guess what? When corn is out in a soybean field, it now is a weed, and we're going to kill it. Anyway, with goldenrod, our best suggestion for you is tordon. The unfortunate thing with tordon is you can't use it in lawns, you can't use it around trees, and you can't use it around fish. So what some people are using now is Duracore. We really like that as well. It's just not as good for permanent control of the goldenrod. The Duracore is milestone along with this new basically 2,4-D replacement product from Corteva. So anyway, those would be our top two choices. Certain, and certainly if you want to use like Freelex, I mean that's the new 2,4-D that doesn't volatilize, you can... You can spray Freelex several times per year, and you'll keep knocking it down, knocking it down, knocking it down, and eventually it will go away on you, but it just takes constant attention that way. So Tordon is the one-shot thing. If you use a quart of Tordon, you probably will have eliminated your goldenrod for good. All right, got this one from Christy, who says you guys talked about the pros and cons of no-till. I agree there are no one-size-fits-all farming methods. What works on one field may not work on another. About a third of our fields are no-till, but not continuously. Cover crops work well for us some years and not in others. Hey, thanks, Christy. We appreciate that. Yeah, you're right. I, I just look at our farm the last few years here. Look at 2018, 2019, super wet. Uh, then 2020 ended up super dry, and 2021 has been super dry. And you're right, different farming methods have, have had advantages in each of those years. Get this one from Roz, who says, I've got eight-foot-tall corn with zero ears on it. Uh, is there something wrong here? Is there anything I need to be doing? Well, first, Roz, I'm curious if your tassels are out yet. A lot of times corn can get quite tall. It can easily get 12 feet or more tall. Maybe you just aren't to tassel yet. I'm not sure. But if you are to a tassel and you're not forming any ears, yeah, you've got you've got something going on out in that field for sure. So I, I would be very concerned about that. I think that would be a total loss if the tassels come out because even if ears do show later and you see silks coming out, there's going to be any pollen to feed them anymore to, to pollinate them. So that could be a real challenge. My first guess is it just hasn't tasseled yet. I mean, nothing. No, we're not to the reproductive stages yet is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and you can so. actually split open corn plants and you can actually find those little ear shoots in there. Sure. So you can see if they're going to be coming or and how soon they'll be coming as well. This one from our friend George in Bulgaria. He said, again, thanks for all the information. I'm running into kind of an unusual problem. I've got field mice. They're getting into my machinery and the shed. Uh, they're chewing on electrical wires, this kind of thing. Maybe I just have to have more cats around. Wondering if you have any better solutions than just adding more cats to the farm. Well, that can be a help for you, George, as long as you aren't feeding the cats a lot. Because we've we've seen that on our own farm where the cats got fed pretty good and they didn't hunt very much. So wild cats are definitely better than, than really tame ones. Yeah, otherwise people just have a lot of mouse poison all around the borders of their sheds. But keep in mind, you got to be really careful with that around kids and pets and things like that. So anyway, there's certainly ways to control mice. You just have to be careful what you do. Thanks for the feedback. Uh, we get a lot of questions here, too, about the Ag PhD field day, uh, about how the crops are looking and if the field day is on. The field day is absolutely on for this year. It's on Thursday, July 29th. You can find all the details and you can register at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.